Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Tuesday, May 10th. Coming up, why Missouri's lawmakers still haven't decided on new congressional districts in the state. And I have spoken to people who have been in the building longer than I, been around 20, 30 years, and they have said this is the most dysfunction they've ever seen. We'll hear how that's affecting candidates running for office. Plus, farmers are worried as a drought continues in the Great Plains. Who wants to put corn in the ground when it's getting down to 25 every night and there's no moisture there? Just had no enthusiasm to go do that. But first, some headlines. The Kansas City Port Authority is considering 25 years of tax breaks for St. Louis developer Lux Living to build a $55 million apartment complex at the Berkeley Riverfront. But Kayvon Mansouri reports the developer didn't disclose important information. On an ethical disclosure included in Lux Living's application, the developer did not mention its CEO Vic Alston's settlement with the Securities and Exchange Commission and the lawsuits he's been involved in over the past five years. Bruce Eddy leads the Jackson County Community Mental Health Fund, which relies on property tax revenues for its funding. The track record of the developer raises a lot of questions, and the low threshold of Port KC doesn't do anything to ease my fears. Alston's lawyer Ira Berkowitz says the SEC settlement and the lawsuits didn't need to be included in the disclosure. 20 years ago, nine patients died at a rural Missouri hospital over the span of just a few months. Some at the hospital suspected that a respiratory therapist intentionally gave patients lethal doses of drugs. Last week, a prosecutor filed a first-degree murder charge against the former employee. Steve Vakrat reports. In 2002, Jennifer Hall was put on leave from Hedrick Medical Center in Chillicothe, Missouri, just days after a patient died under mysterious circumstances. Since then, an analysis of the patient's tissue samples detected two drugs that no doctor had ordered. Prosecutors have charged Hall in the patient's death. Matthew O'Connor, an attorney who has represented Hall, was disappointed that charges were filed. This will be a nearly impossible case for the state to prove, and it's real simple. She didn't do it. Hall's colleagues suspected her involvement in other patient deaths. A lawsuit from more than a decade ago described how doctors and nurses took their concerns about Hall to hospital administrators only to be turned away. Yesterday, the Missouri House of Representatives advanced a new map for the state's congressional districts. Again. By a 100 to 47 vote, the Republican majority made one more attempt to pass a map that will win the approval of the state Senate before the legislative session comes to an end on Friday and redistricting becomes a matter for courts to decide. In the Senate, a divided GOP has left the issue unresolved for the last four months, and it's unclear whether the chamber will approve this new version. Jason Rosenbaum reports that's left Missouri's candidates for Congress basically running in the dark. Ben Samuels has done just about everything he's needed to do to run for Congress. The Democrat hoping to represent Missouri's 2nd District raised money, hired staffers, and has knocked on doors in what's now a decidedly suburban district. There's just one problem, though. 
Because of a legislative impasse over redistricting, Samuels and other 2nd District contenders have no idea which voters they should be courting. Already in a congressional district, there are 750,000 people who live there, and you want to talk to all of them if you can. And when you don't know what the district lines look like, there's even more people you want to be talking to at this stage. There are a lot of reasons why Missouri lawmakers are at loggerheads over how to reconfigure the state's eight congressional districts. But the big conflict involves what to put in the second district, which includes a portion of the St. Louis metro area. State Representative Trish Gunby, who is one of three Democratic second district contenders, has had a front row seat to the impasse. It's like nothing she's ever seen or expected. I started serving during the pandemic. I thought that was going to be the weirdest time. We came back last year, still weird. We thought things would normalize, and I have spoken to people who have been in the building longer than I, been around 20, 30 years, and they have said this is the most dysfunction they've ever seen. That dysfunction is not just affecting Democrats. State Representative Sarah Walsh is running for the open 4th District seat, which takes in huge chunks of central and western Missouri. She recently attended an event in Lafayette County where Republicans were gathering, even though there's no guarantee the county will even be in the 4th District. You know, just as is the story of my life, you just work extra hard. So I've been getting out to the counties that are in the current 4th District, that are in the Senate's proposed 4th District, and are in the House's proposed 4th Congressional District. There have been multiple lawsuits filed over the lack of progress in Missouri congressional redistricting, both in state and federal court. Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft says the Missouri Constitution does not provide state judges with the authority to draw congressional maps. They don't just get to decide we're going to do something we don't have the authority to do. I don't get to decide that I'm suddenly going to be able to pull people over like I'm a highway patrolman. I'm not. While Ashcroft says that federal courts could certainly redraw congressional districts, he pointed to precedent where those judges have abstained from intervening close to an election. Travis Crum of Washington University School of Law says it's highly likely that a court would get involved this time around because using the lines passed in 2011 violates constitutional prohibitions against having districts with uneven populations. Crum says that a panel of federal judges would likely draw a map that's similar to the one currently in place. And the judges might do it themselves. They might hire what's oftentimes called a special master. And the special masters who work on these issues around the country, they oftentimes are able to draw a new congressional district map uh, in a matter of days or weeks. But the timeline before the August 2nd election is making people like Rick Stream quite nervous. Stream is the GOP director for the St. Louis County Board of Elections. The longer it takes to uh, for them to draw a map in the legislature, the more difficult it becomes for us to get uh, all of the precinct splits uh, out so that the candidates and the people know which district they're in. Eric Fay, the Democratic director for the county's election board, also says his agency is staring down at some hard deadlines to prepare for the primary election. That includes a May 24th deadline to put things on the August ballot and a June deadline to send ballots to military personnel. We have to move forward, and whatever the legislature or the court is doing, it may be too late for election administrators to actually effectuate it. I'm really, really excited about the opportunity. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. With uncertainty still looming, Ray Reed is speaking to seniors at a gathering in Brentwood about his bid for the 2nd Congressional District seat. Reed is from the inner ring St. Louis County suburb, so he's hoping the town ends up in the 2nd District. 
But as of now, the Democratic contender has no clue if the people he spoke to can actually vote for him. But, you know, it's kind of challenging not knowing exactly where your boundaries are. Um, it's also given us more time to just recruit some more young people in this race. Republican incumbent Congresswoman Ann Wagner says she hopes the legislature can come to an agreement before session adjourns on May 13th. I'm Jason Rosenbaum. Missouri has received more than its fair share of rain this year, but it's a different story in the Western Plains. Much of Kansas, Nebraska, and Oklahoma are in a drought. Wildfires have swept across the grasslands, and farmers are worried about how they'll make it through the growing season. Even with a few recent downpours, Harvest Public Media's Elizabeth Rembert reports the region is desperate for rain. Randy Ermacher is in his tractor, planting corn and soybeans in central Nebraska. But you might not be able to tell that, even if you were in the tractor cab with him. The soil is so dry that clouds of dust hang in the air as he drives through his fields. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to see what I'm doing tonight. He tries to turn on the windshield wipers, but... Well, that didn't help a whole lot. It's the driest spring Ermacher can remember in his 38 years of farming. It's supposed to be a season of optimism, but he hasn't felt much confidence as he's placed seeds in the ground. It's been too dry and cold, too. Who wants to put corn in the ground when it's getting down to 25 every night and there's no moisture there? Just had no enthusiasm to go do that. Drought is a challenge many farmers and ranchers are facing in the middle of the country. More than 80% of the Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma region is at least abnormally dry according to the National Drought Mitigation Center. So yeah, when we start looking at the, the central to southern plains, uh, there, there's quite a bit of color on the U.S. drought monitor map, and that usually means that uh, conditions are not doing too well. That's Brian Fuchs, a climatologist with the center. We had a tremendously dry winter through much of the plains, and that was not unexpected, but we really didn't understand last fall what the extent of that dryness was going to be. And strong winds aren't helping. Oklahoma saw its windiest April since at least 1994. Other states are also seeing gusts with higher wind speeds than average. The high winds and a dry prairie have been the perfect kindling for wildfires. Steve Rice has been busy as a volunteer firefighter in southwestern Nebraska. He remembers driving up to a house on a road sandwiched between hundreds of hay bales. Every single bale is on fire. There's a wall of fire on each side. And then we sat there in the ash and the smoke and the, the wind and everything for three hours or whatever and tried to protect the house. They saved the house. But wildfires have burned a lot of hay and grassland, which ranchers rely on to feed their cattle. Rice has been organizing hay donations and getting them to the ranchers that need help. So they lost their pasture ground, they lost their bales that were in the, in the yards and in the, in the ranches. Um, all of it's gone. It, it's hard to understand that. But for those farmers, they lost their entire inventory of, of feed. The drought means there's not much hay and grassland, even for areas that haven't seen wildfires. Some ranchers are considering selling off cattle because they're worried about feeding them. It's reminding some farmers and ranchers of the last big drought in 2012. Fuchs says it's been about 10 years since the region faced significant drought, and well, its number was up. And, you know, drought is a natural part of our, our cycle here, especially here in the Plains, that to go 10 years now without seeing a widespread significant drought is, is quite rare. 
I guess there's no better way of saying it that, you know, we were due for a drought. It, we had went quite a long time. And While droughts are a part of normal life, Kansas meteorologist Chip Redmond says climate change could play a part in pushing dryness into drought. He says weather events are getting more extreme, with heavy rain flanked by long dry spells. High temperatures could be another contributing factor. And so when we look at things like above normal overnight low temperatures, which has been a really common theme of climate change, we can develop drought more readily, potentially. The Drought Center's research says dry conditions could persist through the end of July. Only one thing left to do, say the farmers and ranchers, pray that recent rains continue. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Elizabeth Rembert. Nebraska Public Media's Will Bauer contributed reporting to this story, and the Midwest Newsroom's Daniel Wheaton provided data analysis. Go to kcur.org to see a map of drought conditions across the Great Plains. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Jason's coverage of redistricting in Missouri, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Tomorrow, we'll have the story of a sacred rock in downtown Lawrence and the controversy surrounding it. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.